the best told stories deliver a satisfying conclusion. The innocent are rescued. The bad guys lose. The hero prevails. But the story of Christmas is all beginning. God kept his promise. The Messiah has come. But that only matters because the baby grew to be the substitute and the sacrifice and the Savior. We rejoice in the birth of the King even as we wait for him to come again and make all things new. We sing today because we know that day is coming. The innocent will be rescued. Justice will be done. And Christ our Lord will reign forever. Merry Christmas. Good morning, church. Hey, thank you guys for being here this morning. Such a great time to be together. Merry Christmas to everyone this morning. Uh, It's a joy to be with family and the family of God at the same time. What a great moment to celebrate the birth of our Savior, as the world does. But you know, we celebrate Jesus Christ every day of our life, do we not? Uh, That is what living under his leadership, under his discipleship is all about, is each and every day spreading the love and hope and cheer that God brings to this earth through his son, Jesus Christ. We want to say welcome to our guests that are here this morning. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our service this morning. It's a true joy to have you here. And of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, oh, we'd love to have you as part of our church family right here at Cross Point. You know, all of us have made a decision to surrender ourselves to God, to say, God, use us in your story, how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so we invite you into that story with us to surrender your gift sets and to join us in telling the hope that Jesus Christ is to the world around us, not only right here in Grand Prairie, but around the world. There's a a bulletin probably you were given when you came in, and if you check that out, there's lots of ways to get plugged in here wherever you're passionate about ministry here at Crosspoint, and we invite you to do that. Well, we are at the very end of a series that uh, we started earlier several weeks ago uh, called The Gifts of Christmas, and today, of course, we're talking about the gift of Jesus. And uh, we'll be in uh, the Bible, of course, this morning. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. Uh, We'll be in Matthew chapter 2 to start with, and uh, we'll end up in the book of Ruth chapter 4 here in a little bit. I've probably never heard a Christmas sermon with Ruth as the backdrop, but uh, we're going to work that into the message of hope that is Jesus Christ this morning. Of Of course, all of our text will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. I do want to remind you that next week is the first day of 2017. Hard to believe that's here already, but we are also next week combining both services, and we'll have one service at 1030 right here in this room. And we want you to join us next week as well as we kick off a brand new series and talk about priorities. And no matter where you're at in life, 
Uh, it's never too late to get started on what you've planned to do for God and what God has got going on in your life that you may be totally unaware of, but he's got coming down the pike. And so we want you to join us in the month of January for that idea as we flesh out our theme for 2017, and that is enough. The idea that God is enough, Jesus Christ is enough, and I've had enough of this, uh, Satan telling me something different other than that. Uh, Jesus Christ is all that we need in life. And so we want to embrace him in the life that we live, uh, especially as we unpack that in 2017. Well, my guess is if your house is anything like the Hall household, you've been doing some baking this week probably, uh, thinking about those pounds that are going to add on to your uh, diameter, I guess. Uh, but it doesn't matter. We cook anyway. We bake anyway. So I've got a question to start things off with, and it's about chocolate chip cookies. How many people like chocolate chip cookies here? Raise your hand. Amen. Uh, amen. I even heard an amen. That's good. One of our shepherds over here leading the way. I like that. Uh, how many of you, when you're baking up that homemade batch of chocolate chip cookies, you eat some of the dough before you actually bake? So appreciate all you honest people out there. That's good. That's good. All right, let's take it a step further. How many of you, probably at the very end of the chocolate chip bag, you've got 1, 10, 20 chocolate chips left, and you just pour those straight in your mouth? Raise your hand. Appreciate you continuing to be honest. It's Christmas Day. You've got to be honest, right? All right, one more step. How many of you accidentally dropped some chocolate chips on the counter, and now they can't go in the mix, so you've just got to eat those anyway, right? Yeah, we, we do that too. You know... Chocolate chips are the highlight of the chocolate chip cookie, hence the name chocolate chip cookie. It is the star of the show. I mean, we wouldn't pour a bag of flour in our mouth, right? We love the chocolate chips. That's, that's what the thing is all about. Now, we may lick our fingers if you get a little butter, a little sugar on your fingers, but you, you wouldn't grab a whole wad of that and put it in your mouth. No, it's the chocolate chips that make the cookie. But you know what? You, you leave the smallest thing out of the recipe, and it's just not right. What happens if you leave out that half teaspoon of baking powder? Things don't turn out right. Things don't taste right. Things are just not right with your chocolate chip cookie. But it's a small part of the recipe, yet it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? One of those other things that are kind of misunderstood at Christmas time. Things that should be given in small doses, not large doses. A misunderstood dessert, if you will. Fruitcake. <laughs> You've got that name cake in the title there. And I don't know about you, but when I get a piece of cake, let's say at a wedding, I want a big wedge of cake, don't you? With a lot of frosting on it. Maybe if you're lucky, you're going to get that wedge that also has the flour on top. That's just extra frosting. Oh, that's really good. But now, fruitcake, that's supposed to be served in about tissue width size, with a little bit of whipped cream on top. But for whatever reason, we've got the notion that we need to serve it in slabs, don't we? Which makes it understandable why it's so filling and disgusting. <laughs> right? You know, as we look into the story of Jesus today, we, what we realize is... Big things come out of small places. Big things that will directly affect your life come out of the smallest places. Like this season that we're in right now, we celebrate Jesus Christ, the greatest Christmas gift anyone could ever get. I don't know what was under your tree this morning or what you opened last night, but it does not top the Son of God, does it? 
No, Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that we could ever hope to get. And he came out of this little bitty town called Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. A little dot on the map, if you will. I mean, if you blinked, you might not even see that it was there. But yet, that happened. It's in our story as we take a look in Matthew chapter 2, and also as it's seen in Luke chapter 2. But the Christmas story in Matthew is interesting because we're reminded that King Herod had something going on. He, he wanted a census. He had kind of partnered with the Roman Empire, and he wanted to check to see how big his area was that he got to rule. But there were some wise men that came some months after Jesus was actually born, and they were looking for this new king, this new Messiah. They stopped by to talk to King Herod and ask about the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy that occurred some 500 years before Jesus was actually born. It leads us to our opening text this morning in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. That prophecy in verse 6 that the wise men were talking about had occurred a long time ago through a prophet by the name of Micah. It's probably the most quoted prophecy for the Messiah, for the King that is to come this time of year in all the world. It comes from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. And the wise men clearly know about the prophecy. They, they want to find the king that is born. Something big had come from this little place on the map that they were aware of and wanted to know about. You see, Jesus, the, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem in Hebrew literally means house of bread. It's interesting how our story today is going to revolve around bread and what bread may or may not mean to you. Because see, some 300 years before this prophecy was foretold, there was another story that came out of the same city of Bethlehem, and bread was at the center of that story as well. When you take a look in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2, again, we see that King Herod wanted to count everybody in his big kingdom. He wanted to pull alongside Rome and make sure that the taxation was correct. And so everybody was commanded to go back to their town of origin, where they started out, to be counted. And so Joseph and a very pregnant Mary set out from Nazareth to go to Bethlehem to be counted. That's where Joseph, his ancestral line, 
had come from. Herod didn't realize this, but he wanted to count the whole world, but he didn't really own the whole world. He only ran a very small place. And in that small place was this small town of Bethlehem, the smallest place in the smallest city, and a small child would be born. And he would change everything for the entire world. Not just a family, not just a a small group of ethnic people, but no, the entire world would change because of his coming. You see, you leave out the smallest ingredient and it ruins the entire recipe. More than maybe anything else mentioned in the Bible, I don't know, but there are more than 5,000 references to bread in the Bible. You start maybe way up front at the Bible in the book of Exodus when the Israelites had to make the quick unleavened bread to, to get out of Egypt quickly. You look at the, the Last Supper where Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room and they broke bread together and he said, this is my body. That was the night that he was betrayed and eventually the next day crucified. There's even a recipe for bread in Ezekiel chapter 4 that I promise you will taste worse than fruitcake. <laughs> if you have time sometime, look it up. Ezekiel chapter 4, after the sermon, of course. But deep in the stories of Jesus' lineage, we, we find a couple of women, Naomi and Ruth. They're distant ancestors of Jesus. Part of his recipe, if you will, Now, Naomi is a really good woman, and she's married to a really good man, and together they're a really good family. They have two sons, and those sons grow up, and they marry two other women. And they're one big happy family until tragedy strikes. Naomi loses her husband. He he passes away, and then her two sons die as well. And so it's Naomi and Oprah and Ruth. And Naomi calls the two girls in and she says, listen, you need to go back to your origin place, where you came from. You're young enough, you're beautiful enough, you can still get married and find a redeemer for you and your lineage line. You can still have a family. And Oprah says, I I think that's what I'll do. And so she goes back home. But Ruth, Ruth says, no, I I love you too much, Naomi, (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. I'm in it for the long haul. Matter of fact, where where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. The English translation does a poor representation of what happens in that moment. But in the Hebrew, we understand that Ruth kissed Naomi all over. It was a sign of her affection. It was saying, I'm not leaving you. You're part of my family. I, I would never leave you alone. You see, in... In ancient times, when women found themselves to be widows, it was difficult to get along. They couldn't own land. It was difficult for them to make money. And and so it was kind of a life of, we'll do what we can today. And that's where Ruth and Naomi found themselves. But eventually, together, they made a decision, we'll do whatever it takes to survive. And they found themselves eventually in the town of Bethlehem. This is about... 900 years before Jesus is born. In Jewish culture, if you were a man and you owned a field, maybe you grew wheat or oats or barley, 
And Jesus had a plan to take care of everybody. God had a plan to take care of everyone in his flock. And so he said for the landowners, whatever you grow, certainly you harvest that, but you leave the corners of your field. Don't cut the corners of your field. Why? Because we want to have space where our poor, where the widows, where those pilgrims who might just be passing through have a way to to get some food, to get some grain for themselves, to make themselves some bread. And so that's the way every single landowner in Israel functioned. They did not cut the corners of the field. One day, Ruth found herself in a particular field in Bethlehem, and she was at the corners gleaning some of that grain. She was walking behind some of the workers as they dropped some of that grain, and she was picking it up because she wanted to gather what she needed to to go back to Naomi and make them some bread for the evening meal. But as she was doing that, she was spotted by the owner of that field. His name was Boaz. And Boaz was watching Ruth and came to her and asked what was going on. Well, he kind of took a liking to Ruth, and Ruth thought he was a pretty good-looking guy too. Boaz finally gave her some extra food to take home. He kind of took care of her at the last moment, and so she took all that food home and told Naomi the whole story of what happened. And Naomi decided to give her some pointers on how to win a man. <laughs> this is what you need to do. Whatever Naomi informed her of, it actually worked. And yes, they actually were married. At the end of Ruth's story, her, her trip to Bethlehem got her much more than bread. It got her a bread winner. And a guy by the name of Boaz who would take care of not only Ruth but Naomi for the rest of their lives, reestablishing their lineage line to the manger. The story concludes with Boaz and Ruth getting married and later being blessed with a son that they named Obed, but it wasn't only a son for Ruth, it was a grandson for Naomi too, and she loved that child. It's the grandson that she longed to hold. It was an indication that she could pass on her wisdom, her family heritage, everything that she was in God to this child, and he would move on down the line. He represented that ongoing lineage in family that God wanted each and every one of us to have. It was redemption at last and what joy filled that home. The story finishes up in Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed and he became the father of Jesse the grandfather of King David. Wow. The lineage line is re-established. I mean, in the words of the text, Ruth became the great-grandmother to King David. Naomi was the great-great-grandmother to King David. And forevermore, that little town of Bethlehem became known as the city of David. 
It's what the angel talked about in the text when he appeared to the shepherds in the field, when he announced the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, God with skin on. It's the best gift any one of us could ever hope for. The angel announces that gift in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 when he says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. It's an exciting moment in the history of not only Israel, Not only Ruth and Naomi, but the entire world. The the angel was telling the good news that a kinsman redeemer had come on the scene to to buy us back, to buy us out of that poor state, that poverty state, to reinstate us into the lineage line of what God had established. He had come into the world and come onto the scene. Jesus became the rescue. Of all humanity, much like Boaz was that kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth so many generations ago. The Gospel of Matthew, most believe, was written to a very Jewish Hebrew audience. And so lineage is very important in that culture. And so our writer, before he announces the the birth narrative of Jesus Christ, he begins Matthew with the lineage of everything that leads to Jesus Christ. And in that lineage, Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, the story that we just read is posted. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. It is an awesome moment to realize the family And the direct link that we have with the family of God in that lineage as well. It's fitting in this lineage that two ancestors who met during the barley harvest would be part of an ongoing gift to the world. A gift that would lead to Jesus, who would later call himself in John chapter 6, the bread of life for each And every one of us. You see, the smallest things can change the world. Jesus Christ changed the world for every single person in this room. We started back with one man giving leftovers to a girl who was poor, which led to a marriage, which led to King David, which led to Joseph, and then Jesus. One small baby in a manger would lead to the rescue of God's children. Think for a moment about this, this church, this congregation, these men and women, sons and daughters of God who meet in this place and even beyond this building in other places as well. Think about our own congregation and our direct link in that lineage process. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about being adopted sons and daughters of God, how we're part of that process, and we too are part of the lineage in the family of God. Our desire is to look like Jesus Christ each and every day of our life. We want to be the hope and the love to those around us. We want to offer grace and mercy to those we come in contact with. And so this church has made a decision to be directly involved in that lineage process to look like the image of Jesus Christ here on earth. We want to be those hands and feet, if you will. And so this congregation, you have made a decision to adopt 40 deaf children in Kenya at Sam's place. We just took an offering up from our kids for that place. 
Those kids were literally thrown out of their house by their mom and dad. They wanted nothing to do with those kids. Their own country doesn't acknowledge them as citizens, yet you have made a decision to let them know that they're part of the lineage, that they too are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that they too have inherited everything that, that Jesus Christ has offered to us as our brother, our Lord, and our King. You made a decision to adopt a church in a small town down in Honduras. And every summer we go down there as God's people, not looking for our glory, but for his glory. But we build homes for families in dire need there. We've come alongside them and helped add on to their own hospital. We've been in their school system, telling them about the hope they can have in Jesus Christ, what that looks like to be a part of his family. And to remind the church there and encourage them to understand they too are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You've made a decision as the people of God, the sons and daughters of God, to, to purchase Bibles for nations that used to be a part of Russia. Bibles written in their own language where it was outlawed at one time, but now those Bibles are being put into public schools so those kids can know, too, the hope they can have in Jesus Christ, that they, too, are part of the family of God. They're part of that lineage process. They, too, are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You've made a decision to be Jesus in this community by pulling alongside families who are are poor and maybe not as well off as you and I. We've helped their kids go back to school by offering clothing, school supplies, backpacks. We've helped the Pregnancy Crisis Center here in town. We've pulled alongside and fed and clothed homeless in our area. Why do we do that? Because Jesus was our example. And because of that, we've decided to follow him. We have plugged into the idea that he is our Lord and Savior. He's our brother. We want to be part of that lineage process. It is an exciting thing to be a part of the family of God, church. It is a glorious moment that we celebrate today. And because of Jesus Christ, we have all the hope and the blessing that we ever could wish for this Christmas season.
about your own life for a moment. Maybe there was a small moment that happened in your life, you thought nothing more about it, but it turned into one of the biggest moments that you ever could imagine. I mean, we, we love the chocolate chips, but it's that half teaspoon of baking powder that makes all the difference. And so I want to leave you with a question to ask yourself today and throughout this day and the rest of the week. What moments in your life are you creating to share that story that means so very much to us? However small, however set aside you might think that moment is, that kind word, that phone call, that reaching out and that touch, that hug, whatever it might be in your life, what are you doing? How are you creating moments with your friends and your family, your coworkers, your neighborhood? To let them know how glorious a story that you get to be a part of. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We could not ask for more. And what blessed people we are to know that God came among us. Emmanuel, God with skin on, God with us. To journey with us, to live with us, to offer us the very best of life. He wants to do that for you this morning. And so this Christmas day, my hope is that you will consider in your own life where Jesus ranks in priority. How does that story relate and change you? He came to this world to change everything, and he has. Will you buy into that story? Are you willing to be even a small part of the story that he has going? Are you willing to surrender and say, God, use me in your story how you see fit? I want to be a part of what you're doing redemptively in the world. I'm going to ask Brad and the praise team to come back to the stage at this time. Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And for those of you that might be new to Crosspoint, during the singing of this song, maybe there's something on your heart that that has been heavy. You feel you need relief from that, release from that. And so we offer a time of prayer to go seek one of those couples out and let them pray over you, with you, and for you. Maybe today is the day that you give yourself to Jesus Christ to say, today is the day I change. Things will be different. And so we've got the water ready out in the commons. If you would like to be baptized on this very special day of the year, it would be an awesome way to move into the new year by fully publicly committing to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Our hope is this morning that you will leave this place more filled with joy, more excited about the role that you have in the family of God. Let's stand and sing together. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, the burning sun with golden gleam, the silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thou rushing wind, wind art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heaven along. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah. The rising morning praise rejoice Ye lights of evening find a voice Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him Hallelujah, 
make all things new, your glory shining bright forever. The mountains shout your praise, the ocean's mighty waves reveal the power of the Savior. Let all things their Creator bless. Worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. shining bright forever. The mountains shout your praise, the ocean's mighty waves reveal the power of the Savior. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And to be with you this morning, thank you for being here, and Merry Christmas to you yet again. We've got a couple of things left to do, and then the day will be yours, and I hope that you'll go out and make some great memories uh, today with family and friends. Miss Ruby wanted me to remind you, our official hugger here at Cross Point, she'll be out at a table out there, and she's got a Christmas card for everyone, so please stop by and see her on the way out. Now, my hope is when you came in, uh, hold up if you've got a candle in your hand. Uh, this next song, we're going to be lighting those candles. Our shepherds will be walking around, lighting the very end of the row, and as your candle is lit, Please pass that flame on to the person beside you, uh, and we'll sing, with all the lights out in here, candles held high as we sing Silent Night, Holy Night. Again, thank you for being here today. Silent Night, Holy Yeah.